I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rulor Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, and I am here in uh, Colorado. And just up the street from me, uh, not too far, is uh, is Boulder, Colorado. And my guest today is joining me from Boulder, Colorado. And, and my guest is Sam Johnson, who's the general market manager for Hunt USA. Uh, and Hunt is an interesting wheel brand. Well, first of all, hi, Sam. <laughs> Morning. How's it going, Dan? Thanks for having us. Good, good. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Uh, Hunt's an interesting wheel brand. You guys are sort of a, an upstart uh, in in the greater scheme of, of wheel brands. Um, and as we speak, I'm watching on, on my second screen. I told Sam I was going to be a little distracted today because I'm watching Mont Ventoux here. And the tour is climbing Mont Ventoux twice today. Um, and they're just reaching the summit. So I really timed this episode perfectly, didn't I? <laughs> uh, but you guys are sponsoring a world tour team for the first time this year in the form of uh, Quebeca next hash, which is what they are at the tour this year, uh, Quebec Asos the rest of the year, uh, another cycling quirk. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things that is very interesting about this year's tour and tours in general over the course of the last several years is that, you know, there was a big stink about disc brakes for years, years, years. Uh, and, you know, will they use them? Won't they use them? No, I'll never use disc brakes. I'm going to stick to my rim brakes until the very bloody end. And yet now it seems like a foregone conclusion that all World Tour teams, except for Ineos Grenadiers, are using disc brakes, are going to use disc brakes. It is the future. So what changed? Uh, why all of a sudden is this debate no longer a debate? Uh, so I figured I'd talk to Hunt Wheels and Sam because, uh, you know, wheel manufacturers have sort of been at the forefront of this. Wheels had to change pretty significantly to accommodate disc brakes at the world tour level and really at any level. Uh, and so Hunt is, is becoming one of those uh, well-known brands uh, in, a, in a world full of well-known brands. Uh, so you guys have had to do a lot to sort of not only keep up with the big boys, but also innovate on your own and prove that you can be a player at the world tour. So Sam, with all that stuff that I just said, let me ask you very simply up front, is the disc brake debate dead? Yes, finally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, um, honestly, it's, it's been received by uh, really every genre of racing at this point, right? It's now mm -hmm. legal in world tour racing. It's legal in, I think, every version of amateur racing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, I, you know, I guess maybe 
triathlon was sort of the last to adopt. Um, pretty sure it's legal mm-hmm. and, and sort of all um, forms there. But anyway, yeah. So uh, now that it's sort of been widely accepted, it's funny. Like very early on, we saw, uh, I guess, at the very first tour, right? Like one of the first crashes when disc brakes were allowed. You know, there were the pictures mm-hmm. of like the leg that was burnt by a rotor or like the leg that was slashed yeah. or something, right? So, like, there's all this sort of funny stigma early on, right when it gets released, like our rotor's going to be, and then I think they pulled back. Was it maybe even for a year they pulled yeah. back on, on disc and then it just sort of yep. quietly came back in. Yeah. Every yeah. team pretty much had it. And one of the big topics at that point was, uh, if we get the entire Peloton sort of stopping at similar rates, because you've got advantages, which is, I think mostly proven at this point that disc brakes are more efficient in stopping. You can stop mm-hmm. much quicker. Um, Mm-hmm. I, th- I think to the tune of what is it like from like a 30k to standstill it's like a bike length faster right so when you've got an entire right. peloton of riders that are mixed you know uh that are all used to stopping at the same rate like i feel like that's where a lot of the right. issues arose so now that most of the peloton like you called out except for maybe one team is racing disc yeah uh, a lot of that's out the window and we don't really like hear about yeah. it so now basically what we've shifted to focusing on, especially with the Quebec team, um, they're mm-hmm. all concerned about, uh, I guess, width tire profiles. Like everybody wants to run wider mm-hmm. and Quebec are now yeah. running tubeless. They're one of, I think the very few, if not only, dare yeah. I say, running tubeless uh, in the tour mm-hmm. for many stages. Many of the riders have chose tubeless now, which is cool. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's kind of a, just a shift in topic, right? Like disc brake is yeah. sort of <laughs> behind us, but it's right. given us the ability to do some cool stuff, which I think we'll get more into. Yeah. I can hear some of our old school listeners the world over going apoplectic just about <laughs> the, the first five minutes of this podcast <laughs> where we've, we've, you know, they're saying, no, wait a minute, I still use rim brakes. And that's fine. Right, I mean, right. that's the thing. Well, what we're specifically talking about here is the race world. I think, you know, consumers, consumers are going to do what they're going to do. And right now we're facing bike shortages. Uh, we're facing, uh, you know, expensive bikes. So a lot of people still are riding rim brakes. That's totally fine. Uh, but it seems now that the debate at the top level of the sport has just sort of disappeared and we've moved on. Uh, and it seems to be a foregone conclusion that disc brakes are the, the future. But here's something interesting for you, Sam. Um, I, like I said, I'm watching, I'm watching the Peloton climb Vontu right <laughs> now. Um, and here's something interesting. The last Tour de France winners dating back to uh, my time covering the tour, which is 2015, every single tour winner from 2015 until last year has been on rim breaks. Mm-hmm. But there's a caveat there. Most of them were Team Sky, Ineos, Grenadier riders, right? And then last year was Pogaccia, and he was on rim breaks last year. But I'm watching him right now on the screen, and he's riding disc breaks. So this could be the first year, if Pogaccia pulls this off, that the tour is won on disc breaks. So yet, e- even though the debate seems to have died down, we still are in the throes of the disc brake uh, revolution, as it were. We seem to be at the tail end of it. So I guess my question for you, Sam, is now that you guys are sponsoring a World Tour team, uh, what, what goes into designing a wheel that is reliable and uh, exactly what a racer at the top level of sport needs 
with disc brakes? I mean, is the design different? Is, you know, do the braking forces affect the wheel differently? Can you talk a little bit about how that sort of evolved just over the last several years since disc brakes have become a thing in the road world? Yeah, definitely. Um, I I guess, honestly, where I want to start is sort of the introduction of disc brakes to specifically road bikes, right? So I think one of the first was maybe Envy. Um, They decided to jump in with a, I don't want to say hodgepodge, but basically they took a rim brake rim and they threw a disc hub into it, right? And then you've got a disc brake wheel. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. from there, you know, we've evolved in a big way. So um, I think what it's given the ability for us and pretty much every other wheel manufacturer out there is to kind of reinvent the wheel, quite literally. And mm-hmm. we've, been, we've been able to <laughs> come up with pretty unique rim profiles. So you sort of start at... I guess the the previous restrictions were um, essentially a a Shimano standard that was a 28 millimeter Mm -hmm. rim width for a braking surface, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the standard now is what Shimano rim brakes say you can use for a width. So we Mm -hmm. still sell a ton of rim brake wheels and we come all the way up to that sort of max because we really like wide rims um, for better Mm -hmm. tire profiles and everything that we do is tubeless. but. but anyway, yeah, so since we don't have that now 28 millimeter outer restriction, we can jump mm-hmm. to, I mean, we have we have gravel race wheels that are 37 millimeters outer width, right? And every mm-hmm. gravel bike out there, for the most part, can handle that sort of width, um, giving us the ability to do some unique things, especially in the wind tunnel. So we spend a ton of time mm-hmm. um and development, making sure that uh, our wheels are not only some of the fastest against all of our competitors out there, but uh, stability mm-hmm. is kind of one of the like more prevalent topics that we rely on. So, like when we talk mm-hmm. about rim shape, and just to like paint a little bit of a picture for for listeners um, who might want to like dive more into this, I guess traditional rim shapes were sort of V-shaped, right? Or they were like box-shaped really, really long time ago. And so these mm-hmm. V-shaped rims, it, it basically made for air that kind of didn't stick to the wheel all the way and just created all right. this like sort of stagnant turbulence that wasn't really fast yeah. at that point, right? So our goal is right. to like get wind to and air to stick to our rims um, and then provide, you know, I guess at yaw angles, right? When we've got sidewind and things like that, provide an opportunity right. for stability and predictability um, with mm-hmm. these, you know, deep section rims. And so really what you end up getting at the spoke bed is this like really blunt, round sort of shape, um, which which we've been able to do some really unique things with. And I guess part of the problem with going super wide and something that we're sort of unique in doing is, um, I guess we call it limitless technology. And basically what we've done is we've added this sort of polymer insert on the outside of the hook of the rim um, and polymer is much lighter than carbon, right? So we've got all this like carbon there. And if we used all carbon, these rims would be really heavy. Um, So this polymer insert, and then we just stick a layer of carbon over the top of that uh, during the construction Mm -hmm. layup process, it makes for Mm -hmm. this really wide profile that we can get without the like incredible weight penalty. And we do know that yeah. disc brake wheels are always going to be heavier than rim brake wheels, right? Sure. If you want, if you're going to go race a hill climb event, like get a tubular, you know, super shallow <laughs> as light as you can get sort of set up with yeah. a rim brake. Um, it's not, you're not yeah. necessarily going to see a ton of disc at those kinds of events, 
but just because they're lighter doesn't mean that they're faster. Mm -hmm. So, Sure. And I, I think that brings up a really, really good point here. And I, and I wonder if this is actually the reason that the disc brake debate has sort of quieted is that going disc opens up so many other design uh, elements that benefit these world tour riders that maybe to them it's like, well, I don't particularly want the extra weight of disc brakes, but boy, I get this, this, and this. And I think you mentioned a couple of those, which was, you know, using uh, disc brakes opens up rim width opportunities. And we know at this point, for those of you who don't know, actually, uh, who are listening, um, at this point, we know that uh, wider is better, wider is faster. And when you go tubeless in particular, you could run lower pressures. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but that's actually faster. Uh, and there's, there's, there's lots of reasons why, but one of them, if you want to read a little bit about it, uh, go ahead and Google the term hysteresis. Um, that'll give you a basic explanation. But um, basically, you know, it comes down to your, uh, your tire's footprint as it rolls over the pavement and its ability to, to um, rebound uh, at a con more controlled rate as it hits obstacles. So all of that came about, and these are things we've known for years and years, but all of this came about and became more uh, useful to World Tour Road Riders because of disc brakes. So I guess, Sam, my question is, I mean, I don't know how much contact you have with the actual riders or the Team DS or anything like that, but what is the general... Uh, sense you get from those at the that, at those levels of racing that have the riders embrace them or is this just sort of like well whatever I'm going to ride it because I was given it and I know that there's benefits I think that many bike racers they are really looking to the technology to just maximize their results right and I, I don't mm -hmm. think they really care about the minutia to an extent. Many racers obviously do, and they care about stats and things like this. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I don't think they get bogged down in some of the drama of do disc brakes belong and things like that, right? So like our involvement with Quebec, uh, you know, we, we went to their team camp this spring and it was really all about I, I guess education and it was really a big focus on like tire profiles and tubeless mm -hmm. and the benefits there um, and you know tire size and and all these things like you really don't get into the weeds about like disc brakes anymore I suppose I think they I, I guess sure. yeah to answer your question I think they've mostly accepted it um, and they're perfectly happy yeah, with yeah. how they perform I, th I think it's mostly mm -hmm. proven at this point that you can descend especially technical descents during the tour uh, Mm -hmm. with disc brakes you can come in later yeah. and have more power have more modulation um mm -hmm. you know and i guess there, there was a trade-off right like when we switched to to disc um you know you used to be able to have what like what's the lightest hub out there i'm trying to think there's some fun ones there, i think there's like a 50 gram hub out there extra light maybe like this mm -hmm. italian hub company mm -hmm. right so like Sure. You, have, you have the ability to go like stupid light and like the shallowest little flange diameter that you can get. And so anyway, you had mm -hmm. this like switch of weight from uh, adding weight to the hub and be, just because you need to account for braking forces there rather than out mm -hmm. at the rim, right? So in theory, sure. you could probably go a little bit lighter at the rim since you don't need to overbuild. Um, but then mm -hmm. we've just decided that like, control and like the benefits of tubeless and larger tires and wider profiles mm -hmm. can be faster than being lighter weight um you yeah. know there's just this balance like i said like 
yeah, disc is going to be heavier yeah. always, but not faster. Um, and I think right. that pro riders sort of acknowledge that fact that mm -hmm. yes, in most yeah. circumstances, they're just simply faster. Yeah. So, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about rim construction in a moment, um, but I, we're going to take a quick break here, but I want to leave before the break with this thought. Uh, stage one of the tour this year had pretty much one of the most dramatic crashes I've ever seen. Uh, and it, it was a massive pileup. The, most of the Peloton went down. Uh, you, you know, this, this famous Ale Opiomi crash. <laughs> but what was notable to me is that in years past, if something like that had happened, we would have immediately gotten stories about, oh, the, the disc rotor slashed me and this disc rotor burned me and blah, 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 and all these things. We didn't hear a peep about that kind yep. of stuff this yep. year. I thought about and that. I know that seems <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it seems circumstantial. It seems a little anecdotal and that's true. It is. But in years past, as you know, like I said, I've covered a lot of tours de France and inevitably something like that would have come out in every single crash, regardless of what caused the crash. So it's pretty telling to me that after some, and, and that wasn't the only crash that day. We never heard anything about disc brakes. And I think that's pretty telling about uh, how we're, what direction we're moving in. Uh, Sam, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. And when we get back, I want to talk a little bit about uh, rim construction and how that has changed since the advent of disc brakes. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinawa, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with Sam Johnson from Hunt Wheels. And uh, Sam, we've been talking a lot about sort of how disc brakes are basically a foregone conclusion. And, and, you know, before we wrap this up today, I want to talk a little bit about the holdouts. But before we get to that, uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned early on in the show is that disc brakes have opened up so many new design opportunities uh, for manufacturers to make wheels better. And I don't know how long you've been watching bike racing, but, uh, you know, I've been watching for a very, very long time. And one of the, the notable crashes I recall is Mark Cavendish's carbon wheel just collapsing on itself in a sprint. I forget what year. It must have been like 2012, 2013. I got to go back and look. I think it was at the Tour de Suisse. Um, in any event, early on, uh, carbon wheels, you know, riders were wary of carbon wheels in much the same way they were wary of uh, disc brakes. And now carbon wheels are the standard. Uh, and one of the reasons that carbon wheels have become better in years past, uh, in the recent years is because, you know, obviously construction has changed the amount of the types of resin, the amount of resin in a wheel cha has changed. Uh, but also rim brakes took away a, a pretty significant limitation, uh, in wheel design. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we, we have done, uh, rim brake wheel development, uh, and the very, you know, I guess, recent past, right? In the last two or three years, we've developed uh, some really compelling sort of deep section, um, extremely aerodynamic wheel sets. But it, it's always that, like, outer rim width. So uh, a good example mm -hmm. is our 60 uh, limitless wheel set. 
So we start with this like 27 millimeter outer and you know we begin development there because we have to start with that sort of width because Shimano tells us that mm -hmm. we can't surpass a certain certain width there. So, um, but mm -hmm. we want to go wider. We want to go blunt. We want to go deep, right? All these things. And I think basically where our engineers, um, I should make mention of, uh, of one of our engineers. Her name is Luisa Grappone. She's a former uh, Boeing engineer. She's worked for Campagnolo. Um, Mm -hmm. pretty well known i think throughout a, a number of industries um a, a very yeah. brilliant engineer and we're happy to have her um and uh, you know one of her first i guess projects coming in was like our limitless um designs so anyway so with this like rim break um limitation it's funny you start at this like 27 millimeter rim surface and then we actually like bump out to almost 30 millimeters up just because we want to like create this like big blunt rounded profile to uh, allow for everything we're trying to accomplish in the wind tunnel and i th i think when we sort of shifted you know we, we sort of slowed development with rim break uh altogether and you know we're, we're going to continue to support it we're going to continue to produce rim break because like i said we still uh do a lot of it you know you don't necessarily need rim breaks mm -hmm. if you're in like you know, a Southern market, let's say like a Florida consumer, right? You're probably happy on your sure. rim brakes. And I think Shimano's new latest group is probably still gonna have a rim brake option um, mm -hmm. for that purpose. But uh, anyway, as we make that jump and shift from rim brake to disc brake, we're allowed to sort of go as wide as rim or as uh, frame manufacturers will allow. And I think our goal at this point is to find this sort of sweet spot of getting the best tire profile that we can with the most aerodynamic mm -hmm. rim combination. So we always recommend like a, a tire width with a specific rim profile. Um, and in many cases, the tire is actually a little bit narrower. And you'll see this from a lot of our competitors mm -hmm. too. Tires a little bit narrower yeah. than the rim and that makes for the most aerodynamic uh, combination, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I've heard a complaint very recently, somebody does, uh, I think it was an internal complaint, actually. Uh, they didn't like to run, but like one of our wheels is, you know, uh, what is it, like 37 mil, like 37 mil outer, right? And they mm -hmm. ran like a, a tire that they probably shouldn't have been. We recommend a gravel tire with that one. <laughs> but he, he, I think he yeah. had like a 30 or something on this like gravel wheel set. And the rim was quite a bit narrower than the tire. And he's like, mm -hmm. oh, I can't lean my bike up against the wall now without scratching my rims. And we're like... Well, yeah. Yeah, but it's like the fastest thing ever. Like, point it in yeah, a straight right, line, right. and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. So, anyway, um, but the goal is, yeah, to get this like really straight profile, like outer width of the rim mm -hmm. should sort of match up mm -hmm. for the best efficiency mm -hmm. um, outer width of the tire. So, yeah. So, I, I guess one of the things that I, I was also curious about is rim brakes in general you know and again this like you said this probably won't matter for you know somebody in very flat regions who's still you know perfectly happy with their rim brakes but um on a long fast descent like i'm watching them right now descend the backside of malvan too because they're doing it twice today which is crazy uh mm -hmm. you know in those cases your brakes heat up whether it's a disc brake or a rim brake and in the past um Rim brakes would you would have to design a rim and so that it could it could deal with those temperatures, while also providing enough grip that you know you could actually stop the wheel, uh, and that was a very tricky balance. It's a very tricky thing, and that's been totally eliminated. 
uh, with disc brakes. You don't have to worry about that. What has that done for the carbon layout uh, in, in wheels? Has it changed that approach at all? Uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's a ton of development there. You're sort of, um, I guess many manufacturers are digging into sort of alternative uh, layup processes, alternative materials to use. Um, we've got some competitors out there that I think a lot of it is starting with mountain bike, right? You'd like talk about um, uh, like thermoplastics and, you know, things like that. And maybe they're a little bit heavier at this point, but they're getting some incredible durability out of this stuff. Um, so it's, it's definitely playing to that, but, um, I mean, one, one of the key things I suppose is, yeah, the way that you can sort of do a layup without having to integrate that braking surface in there. I mean, you kind of have to have a lot of material. So some companies have chose to like, okay, let's lighten this thing up. We don't have to have this big thick rim bread anymore and account for wear on the rim, um, or heating up, uh, the actual like bonding agents. And then like you called out that creates for some catastrophic issues from time to time mm -hmm. and extreme circumstances. And, uh, it, you know, so like it kind of, putting a lot of that out of the way, you sort of get the ability to construct something that can be much stronger because you can sort of tie in uh, layups all the way up into the rim bread with these like sort of rounded profiles like I called out um, without having to have that sort of straight, uh, narrow kind of start to your construction. So yeah, yeah, it's and what about what about the sorry, to no, that's good. There. Uh, what about the hubs, hubs and spokes? I mean, Obviously, you're you're placing the force on the wheel in a different location. So I assume that means that there's got to be some accommodation yeah. for those forces. Uh, what, what's happened in that world? I, th I think a funny um, a funny way to start this one is the very first rim, or sorry, the very first disc brake. Uh, I used to work for Shimano, so I have a ton of fun facts about yeah. Shimano history yeah. and whatnot. Um, <laughs> So the very first, uh, I guess, disc brake from Shimano, I think it was 1972. They had, uh, what was the name of that thing? What was the name of that thing? Um, it was the B, B700, I want to say it was. So the B700, it was okay. an eight pound disc brake system. <laughs> <laughs> and so part, and that was and that was just the brake. So the hub it, it yeah. basically required this like proprietary 36 hole spoke uh, and mm -hmm. so incredibly heavy there like this overbuilt yeah. like it was solid steel rotor. Um, so oh it was gosh. like yeah so the eight pounds was basically just the rotor, the caliper, like the mounting hardware, all this so. Um, so anyway, like starting there, like it's really funny. So that's like an over-exaggeration of like what you have to do to integrate a disc bike into a Schwinn Manta Ray in 1972. Yeah. Um, <laughs> making your like 35-pound single-speed bike, you know, that much heavier. But um, yeah, right. anyway, so yeah, I mean, that today basically accounts for, yeah, some like over-construction in hubs. Um, essentially what we've found, especially for the road and gravel use, center lock is an amazing, amazing invention thanks to Shimano. Um, mm -hmm. That standard alone, I think, is it, it probably gives every wheel manufacturer out there the ability to keep weights really competitive. Like it's such a durable design. It's a light aluminum lock ring, and it's got a little like steel sort of washer that that helps kind of secure everything in place. And mm -hmm. uh, you know just that whole design like yeah it's a little bit overbuilt more so than your standard um 
standard V-brake hub because you don't have to have any of those forces at the hub. All those forces were out on the rim. Um, but right. you also have noticed with disc brakes, you can't have radial lacing anymore. Thank goodness it's gone. I don't miss it. I never really liked it anyway. <laughs> As a bike mechanic from a long, long time ago, it seems like yeah. radial lacing was, you know, not that amazing to begin with. But anyway. Always always a problem. So now minimum requirement is a two-cross, right, um, for for disc brakes at this point, just to help handle mm -hmm. these loads that um, that are now pulling rather than, uh, you know, just, a, you know, all those forces being outside. So anyway, yeah, it's kind of... Um, Mm -hmm. kind of a funny thing of where it's come from and now where it is so you know like i said earlier like you sort yeah. of you get to drop some weight at the rim not all companies are doing it it's not necessarily that sure. important um for a lot of applications where aerodynamics come into play and then you kind of shift mm -hmm. that off and like add a little bit of weight to the hub um just so that you can mm -hmm. adapt you know a center lock system six bolt like i don't even sure. want to go there because i'm not a huge advocate of <laughs> six bolt we you know we have some like six bolt mm -hmm. mountain bike wheels and that's still out there mm -hmm. many companies are still using that but i don't mm -hmm. i don't know about you but i used to run like three titanium bolts which held just yeah. fine rather than like all six <laughs> of your steel bolts and like yeah. total weight weenie cross-country racing yeah. back in the day uh I don't know. Yeah. Living on the edge. Six, six, six bolts <laughs> funny. You just like, it's a lot of extra overbuilding and a lot of extra material yeah. plus adding like the hardware and, and then like the rotor limitations. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I guess mm -hmm. I'm biased, but, uh, I love Shimano rotors. Like the technology there, I believe has come a really long ways with Frieza and ice tech technologies. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. I think Shimano rotors are probably second to none in that, in that realm. So that's why we really sure, love, sure. uh, uh, center lock for basically everything gravel and you'll see uh, center mm -hmm. lock coming to mountain from us soon as well so cool so i guess the last thing that i want to talk about briefly in the few minutes we have left is one of the big concerns i think a lot of people cite obviously is the weight everybody cites the weight as a concern for them for making the switch to disc brakes um, but they also tend to cite uh, aerodynamics and how you have the the caliper uh, which is not as aerodynamic and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder, Sam, if you, you know, you, having worked with Shimano and now with Hunt, um, you know, there's been changes to those designs as well. You know, the, the caliper is what the caliper is. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be sticking out. So yes, you're going to have more drag there, but you know, we also just talked pretty significantly about how rims have changed aerodynamically and have become so vastly more, aerodynamic does that sort of overcome the losses that you take on from having a disc brake system i mean like combine the caliper with the rotor and with anything else that has changed um does does the wheel design you know cancel that out essentially is disc brake faster or slower than rim brake is that what you're getting at dan yeah basically <laughs> yeah basically yeah there have been <laughs> reading through me <laughs> so i would say this I think that uh, manufacturers of bicycles started to test this uh, maybe five or six years ago when disc brakes started to come on for road a little bit more prevalently, right? So there was Colnago, I think they were maybe the first, and then there was the Specialized Robet for like mass market, and I, I think that some of those probably went into the, into the wind tunnel. Um, I, well, I know that a couple of them definitely did early on. And then there have been like check-ins, you know, kind of throughout that time frame. 
and results are sort of inconclusive. Um, I, I've, I've seen specific companies call out the fact that, okay, here's where we're at very, very early on uh, in the realm of like development with disc brake technology for a road, saying that, nope, rim, uh, rim brake is still faster. We tested at the wind tunnel. We did some testing on some major descents. Like, okay, rim brake's still faster. Maybe three years later, we get like a bunch more inconclusive testing. Like some found that disc brake is faster. Some found that rim brake is faster. And now that we're here, and so like where we started as well, we basically just stole technology from the mountain bike side and plugged in some mountain bike calipers and some big chunky rotors that were probably too big for the application. <laughs> and mm -hmm. we sort of found that like, okay, yeah, those specific applications, we were using post mount on the road, which is just like a clunky thing that a lot of us like scratched mm -hmm. our head about like, okay, yeah, I agree. They work better. We probably need to beef up some things here and there. I'm getting some chattering or whatever. Right. And then we sort of evolved from that into this like really refined flat mount uh, standard now, which has been adopted by, I think, pretty much every brake manufacturer out there. Um, and flat mount makes for this like really sleek, probably much more aero uh, profile. It like sucks it in onto the fork up front, right where a lot of the wind is catching. Whereas before that caliper was sticking off with the post mount. Uh, system. There were gaps in between all the stuff. So imagine there's a lot of like turbulent air in there. Um, and then we've got 140 rotors that are now like filled in with these fins, uh, thanks to, you know, super cool Frieza technology. And so, yeah, there's like some really, really interesting developments there. And I think now like all of the most recent wind tunnel tests and all of the um, third party tests that have gone down, I think it's pretty well known that disc is faster than rim brake. Mm -hmm. um, and it totally depends on like how aerial your frame is and all this stuff, right? There's so many yeah. factors you can conclude and yaw angles and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, ev everything that I've found is disc for the most part is faster now, mm -hmm. which is cool in terms of aerodynamics. Yeah. So, and that's why the world tour yeah. is using it. That's why triathletes who are among the most concerned about aerodynamics and TT use mm -hmm. have all adopted it. They wouldn't use it if it wasn't yeah. faster. Right. 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 So I, I guess that leads us to the final question here, which is, you know, what's your best guess as to why there's that one team <laughs> is still using rim brakes. What is the advantage there? What is their strategy here? <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I would say, yeah. does it come down to sponsorship? Does it come down to Ooh, budget? Does it come down to yeah. uh, you know? I have no idea. Old old school yeah. mindsets. Like, mm -hmm. it has worked for a really long time. I mean, how's that team performing in the tour? Are they uh, not so great? I mean, they're you know they're up there, but you yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they and there's no secret who we're talking about. Ineos Grenadiers is the last team standing yeah. that's using exclusively rim brake. They've and, got some pretty know. incredible climbers. I'll give them that. And we talked about advantages of some lighter weight opportunities there. Like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. maybe there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have some. Uh, I have some emails out to to some folks over at Ineos Grenadiers yeah. to hear what they have to say about this topic. So hopefully, I can update you all as to why they've made the decision to stick with rims, uh, rim brakes. But uh, generally speaking, Sam, it sounds to me like there's a lot of advantages to disc brakes and very few disadvantages. Uh, not only for world tour racers, but also for everyday riders. Again, depending on where you live, what kind of terrain you're riding, 
and you know, your budget. I mean, uh, it just, it's, it's, that's really what it comes down to for most consumers is, you know, do I want to keep riding my rim brake bike? That's been just fine. Or do I want to, you know, buy a new bike that's way expensive now and, and make the leap to discs. But, uh, you know, for the, for the, for all practical purposes in terms of performance and design, it seems like the reason the disc brake debate has finally died is because it's very clearly a better system. Um, I would like to hear from you all listening, because I'm sure some of you disagree with that very bold statement <laughs> I just made. And uh, I'd like to hear your feedback. So you can you can get me at Brown Tide Dan on social media. Of course, you can always reach out to Ruler Magazine at Ruler Magazine. I'm sure they would also love to hear from you. Uh, Sam, how can folks reach out to Hunt Wheels and, and to you specifically if you want to give your, uh, your social media platforms? Yeah. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that I'll... Uh, I like when people yell at me, but not everybody likes when, when people yell at them on social media. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. Uh, I would say hit us on probably our Instagram, and you can do... Uh, what's our handle? Hunt.road. Um, I think that'd probably be the best one. So let's see. Let me double check okay. that. We've got like five counts. Hunt.road. Yeah, that's the one. Hunt.road. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and you know, the, the, again, this was this was pretty fascinating for me uh, to hear some of this stuff because it, you know it's what I've been kind of kicking around my head. But if you guys out there listening have a difference of opinion, and I'm sure some of you do, uh, please do feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And also, if you guys have uh, suggestions for topics you'd like me to cover on the, the tech podcast here, I'd love to hear those as well. Uh, I'm always a big fan of when people do my work for me, so <laughs> please do reach out. Sam, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. It was super fun. Uh, All right. Interesting topic, for sure. <laughs> yeah, We're no into doubt, it. no doubt. And uh, to all you, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. So my name is Oren Peleg, and I'm an investor in Lekker. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry, which is a very large industry, and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people on two wheels. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis, and I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have, and I think Lacquer's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment.